Chapter Three of the Oregon Trail. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Oregon Trail by Francis Parkman, Jr. Chapter Three. Fort Leavenworth. On the next morning, we rode to Fort Leavenworth. Colonel, now General Kearney, to whom I had had the honor of an introduction when at St. Louis, was just arrived, and received us at his headquarters with the high-bred courtesy habitual to him. Fort Leavenworth is in fact no fort, being without defensive works, except two blockhouses. No rumors of war had as yet disturbed its tranquillity. In the square grassy area, surrounded by barracks and the quarters of the officers, the men were passing and repassing, or lounging among the trees, although not many weeks afterward it presented a different scene, for here the very off-scourings of the frontier were congregated to be marshaled for the expedition against Santa Fe. Passing through the garrison, we rode toward the Kickapoo village five or six miles beyond. The path, a rather dubious and uncertain one, led us along the ridge of high bluffs that bordered the Missouri, and by looking to the right or to the left we could enjoy a strange contrast of opposite scenery. On the left stretched the prairie, rising into swells and undulations, thickly sprinkled with groves, or gracefully expanding into wide grassy basins of miles in extent while its curvatures swelling against the horizon were often surmounted by lines of sunny woods, a scene to which the freshness of the season and the peculiar mellowness of the atmosphere gave additional softness. Below us on the right was a tract of ragged and broken woods. We could look down on the summits of the trees, some living and some dead, some erect, others leaning at every angle, and others still piled in masses together by the passage of a hurricane. Beyond their extreme verge, the turbid waters of the Missouri were discernible through the boughs, rolling powerfully along at the foot of the woody declivities of its farther bank. The path soon after led inland, and as we crossed an open meadow, we saw a cluster of buildings on a rising ground before us, with a crowd of people surrounding them. They were the storehouse, cottage, and stables of the Kickapoo trader's establishment. Just at that moment, as it chanced, he was beset with half the Indians of the settlement. They had tied their wretched, neglected little ponies by dozens along the fences and outhouses, and were either lounging about the place or crowding into the trading-house. Here were faces of various colors—red, green, white, and black, curiously intermingled and disposed over the visage in a variety of patterns. Calico shirts, red and blue blankets, brass earrings, wampum necklaces appeared in profusion. The trader was a blue-eyed, open-faced man, who neither in his manners nor his appearance betrayed any of the roughness of the frontier, though just at present he was obliged to keep a lynx eye on his suspicious customers, who, men and women, were climbing on his counter and seating themselves among his boxes and bales. The village itself was not far off, and sufficiently illustrated the condition of its unfortunate and self-abandoned occupants. Fancy to yourself a little swift stream working its devious way down a woody valley, sometimes wholly hidden under logs and fallen trees, sometimes issuing forth and spreading into a broad clear pool, and on its banks, in little nooks cleared away among the trees, miniature log-houses in utter ruin and neglect. A labyrinth of narrow obstructed paths connected these habitations one with another. 
Sometimes we met a stray calf, a pig or a pony belonging to some of the villagers, who usually lay in the sun in front of their dwellings, and looked on us with cold, suspicious eyes as we approached. Farther on, in place of the log huts of the Kickapoos, we found the Pukwi lodges of their neighbors, the Potawatomis, whose condition seemed no better than theirs. Growing tired at last, and exhausted by the excessive heat and sultriness of the day, we returned to our friend the trader. By this time the crowd around him had dispersed and left him at leisure. He invited us to his cottage, a little white and green building in the style of the old French settlements, and ushered us into a neat, well-furnished room. The blinds were closed, and the heat and glare of the sun excluded. The room was as cool as a cavern. It was neatly carpeted, too, and furnished in a manner that we hardly expected on the frontier. The sofas, chairs, tables, and a well-filled bookcase would not have disgraced an eastern city, though there were one or two little tokens that indicated the rather questionable civilization of the region. A pistol, loaded and capped, lay on the mantelpiece, and through the glass of the bookcase, peeping above the works of John Milton, glittered the handle of a very mischievous-looking knife. Our host went out and returned with iced water, glasses, and a bottle of excellent claret, a refreshment most welcome in the extreme heat of the day, and soon after appeared a merry laughing woman who must have been, a year or two before, a very rich and luxuriant specimen of Creole beauty. She came to say that lunch was ready in the next room. Our hostess evidently lived on the sunny side of life, and troubled herself with none of its cares. She sat down and entertained us while we were at table with anecdotes of fishing parties, frolics, and the officers at the fort. Taking leave at length of the hospital trader and his friend, we rode back to the garrison. Shaw passed on to the camp while I remained to call upon Colonel Kearney. I found him still at table. There sat our friend the captain, in the same remarkable habiliments in which we saw him at Westport, the black pipe, however, being for the present laid aside. He dangled his little cap in his hand and talked of steeplechases, touching occasionally upon his anticipated exploits in buffalo hunting. There, too, was R., somewhat more elegantly attired. For the last time we tasted the luxuries of civilization, and drank adieus to it in wine good enough to make us almost regret the leave-taking. Then, mounting, we rode together to the camp, where everything was in readiness for departure on the morrow. End of chapter 3